Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Faith in Your Recovery. We believe this is a great day to recover, and we want to give you some information, some insights, some experiences that hopefully will help make that happen. We want to lead you forward. We're going to show you the way, but we're not going to stand back from that. We're going to walk with you. Our guest today is a good friend, Brandon Clevenger. Welcome. How's it going, Randy? Great. Wonderful to have you with us today. Thanks for taking your time to join us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you. We look forward to what you had to share. Brandon, introduce yourself to the folks. Tell them who you are, some of your likes, your hobbies, what you do with your spare time right now. Well, I do a lot of working with my hands in my spare time. Right now, I'm uh, finishing my coffee table, refinishing it for my wife. You know, you got to make her happy. I uh, spend a lot of time with the kids, but... Other than that, I really don't have any other hobbies. Well, that's pretty busy right there. How many kids? Two kids. How old are they? 11 and 8. Both girls. Both girls, 11 and 8. All right. Well, that's going to keep you full-time busy right there, let alone having a life away from that. But that's cool. That's cool. And as you said, happy wife, happy life. So the adage goes, and we know that. I can tell you it helps a bunch, okay? Stay at it. So. Let's go back early in life. Describe the young Brandon to us. What was life like? Uh, What was your household like? Brothers and sisters? uh, Yes, share with us. Well, I have a stepsister. She lives in Louisiana now. Um, I have a half-brother that lives in Tennessee, but I really didn't meet him until I was an adult. My parents were great. I mean, I can never complain about my parents or anything, but I had a lot of emotional issues, even as a young child. So when I was about five years old, my mom told me that the man who adopted me, who is my father, that he wasn't my father biologically. So that really messed with me because I didn't end up meeting him until I was about 17 years old, my biological father. I always felt like this was my fault, like... He wasn't around because of something that I did. I get that a lot, and there's that self-blame because we hunt for answers, and that's the easiest one to find is to take it on ourselves. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. How old are you now, Brandon? Just turned 34 Monday. Well, happy birthday a couple days late, okay? Well, thank you. Congratulations. All right, tell us more about that young Brandon. Also, when I was born, I was premature, so they put, I don't know if you know about preemies, they have IVs everywhere. So I had one in my head, one in my hand, one in my foot. One of the nurses put the IV in my foot, and it wasn't in the vein. So it ended up killing the entire muscle on my left foot, 
And as I grew, it really twisted and contorted my toes. So I had a lot of self-confidence issues as a young kid. I wouldn't would not wear my shoes. I always had to have socks on. A lot of kids made fun of me. My friends seen it. They made fun of me for that. I ended up hiding it. I felt like I was disfigured, even though it wasn't something that was that bad. When I become an adult, I realized it's really not that big of an issue. It's not now, but it was then. Yeah. Perception stronger in reality lots of times, and that's the way you perceived it. Did it mess with your ability to walk and run? I had to have corrective surgery when I was 16, but no, it didn't really mess with me at all. Okay, okay. So I'm glad that didn't become a part of it. All right, lead us forward from there, would you please? Yeah, I... um. We would then bounce around a lot. Like, I grew up in St. Mary's, Ohio, where I live now. Then we moved from there to Florida, Fort Myers, Florida, to be exact. But down in Florida, it was a completely different change of atmosphere. We we lived in a really bad neighborhood. I just was too young to understand. When all the other kids would be out running around in the neighborhood, I had to stay in the yard or in the house. I couldn't understand it. Then I really had some resentments towards my parents because I just felt like they were holding me back and not allowing me to... It was punishment instead of protection. Yeah. Okay, go ahead there. Tell us about your life in Florida. You said you bounced around. Where'd you go to from there, Brandon? Well, we would go back to Wapakoneta, Ohio after that. Um, My mom ended up getting pregnant with my little brother, which she didn't think she could have another kid, so he was kind of a miracle baby. She didn't want to raise another child in that environment. And like I said, I was too young to understand how exactly how bad it was. What really pushed us to move is a, the neighbor across the street one morning was shooting at his wife while she was hanging clothes on a clothesline. And after that, my mom was terrified. She well, just I wanted think so. She just wanted to go back home after that. Wow. So uh, we ended up, they ended up moving me back to Ohio before them while she was still pregnant. I was completely and utterly upset over that. I I thought, once again, like you said, it was like a punishment. Like, I'm the only one that has to go back to Ohio. You're taking me away from some of the schools. I like like the school. They took me away from some of the friends I was making. I was involved in the Boys and Girls Club, which was an amazing program. I mean, that's what really I remember the most is the beach and the Boys and Girls Club. So I went up and lived with my grandparents. This time was amazing because... I got to spend a lot of time with my cousin. His name was Richard. We were only about six months apart. If it wasn't for me being brought to my grandparents, I wouldn't get that time. And in high school, he actually passed away from a car accident. Uh, That had to be hard to take. It was. We started drifting apart. Like He was more into sports. He played football, excellent football player. He was a sophomore, I believe, and he was already getting looked at by colleges around. I started, I took the metalhead route and started smoking pot, drinking, and we kind of just drifted apart. And then suddenly, like, he just passed away. I remember being woke up in the middle of the night, and we had to rush up to Lima to, uh, Go identify his body and stuff. So You say it was a car wreck. Yes. Well, sorry to hear that. Our cousins can oftentimes become our heroes, especially when they're so near to us in age. I grew up next door to a cousin who was nine months younger, and we had another cousin that was eight days younger than him. So the three of us, two of us could always get along. The third would mess up the batter. But I can remember those times well. Tell us, once you started using the marijuana, other drugs, 
Tell us about that. What do you think led to that moment? I, since we moved around a lot, I was just desperate to make friends when we landed back in Ohio. I didn't have very many friends outside the Boys and Girls Club in Florida. I just landed in Wapak and was like, okay, these kids look cool. Nobody picks on them, so I want those to be my friends. And I sucked them out, and they became my friends, but it was really the wrong crowd. Everybody tried to tell me that. My parents, my grandparents, they all tried to tell me that I'm running with the wrong people, but I just didn't want to believe it. I thought they were cool, so I started doing what they were doing. I ran with the older crowd. I ran. I just didn't want anybody to mess with me anymore. I'd been picked on when I was a kid. So you found protection there just like your mom had tried to protect you before. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, These guys have my back. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to have theirs. We all hunt for a place to be accepted. It's just not always the best location once we find it. Yeah, absolutely. So then, like, before Richard died, my drinking and marijuana use, I mean, it was experimental. It wasn't all the time. I didn't see an issue with it. But after Richard's death, I really just couldn't cope. I started medicating myself after that. It became dependence. I was drinking every chance I got. I smoking more weed than I'd like to admit. But it didn't just stop there. In high school, I started doing hallucinogens. I snorted coke a lot. Then later in my 20s, think that this is okay behavior and progress into the heroin. So there wasn't a lot you didn't try, it sounds like. If it was there, you were going to give it a shot. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I, at one time in my life, I just thought that I would just try every drug. I didn't see an issue with it. I didn't see the negative side of it until I got later in life. Yeah, okay. As you're going through that time of addiction, that time of high usage, what did life look like? Well, at the beginning of... I was always the functioning addict for the longest time. I had my own apartment. I held decent jobs. I paid my bills, and I just thought that this is what life was like. It was once I got into heroin, I started getting that negative side. I mean, I had been in trouble, been arrested a lot, and had to do classes about substance use, but I never really paid attention to any of that. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to stop. This is the way I wanted to live my life. Those were pretty much slaps on the hand, it sounds like, that didn't get your attention. Right. Absolutely. I got a lot of breaks. Did you get to a point to where there were no breaks and you had to start to pay the time for the crime? Yes. I actually ended up in prison right outside Memphis, Tennessee. That was a a game changer for me. You know, when that door shuts and you know you ain't leaving anywhere for a couple years, that was a big wake-up call. Were those drug-related charges? It was a burglary charge. I was on methamphetamine, yeah. Okay. Was the burglary committed to get the funds to buy more drugs? Uh, Yeah. Actually, uh, I was working for my biological father in Tennessee, and they, they fired me because of my drug use. They didn't want to give me my last paycheck because they didn't want to fund my addiction. They were trying to protect me, too. 
And I took that as I just took all the rage and anger that I had held towards him and I broke into their office and smashed things and took everything I could and I did sell everything I could for meth. They knew exactly who did it. The cops knew exactly who did it. There was no, I'm not a good criminal, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good thing to be able to say or you might not be with us today. All right. Yeah. So... How long were you facing over that? I ended up doing two and a half years. You did two and a half years, and you said that was there in the Memphis area. Yes. Yes, okay. What was that like for you? You mentioned when that door closes, it gets dark in a hurry, but share a little more about that. Well, when I originally went to Tennessee, I was running away from my heroin addiction. I I had my little girl. She was about six months old when I left. I knew that I was on a path that was going to kill me. Uh, My friends were dying left and right. I just knew that if I kept going down that road, that's what was going to happen to me. So I originally went there to get clean and I was there for a little while and found methamphetamine. It looked cool. Everybody I worked with did it. You know, I didn't know anybody outside the church there. Actually, that was when I got introduced to Jesus for the first time. I wanted to learn more. I just wasn't at that place yet. But after doing meth, that just totally changed. It's from one extreme to the other, an extreme downer to an extreme upper. And I ended up losing tons of weight. I got down to 114 pounds. I was wearing size 26 jeans. And that's what a middle schooler wears. So, I mean, I was was tiny. After they fired me due to my addiction and everything, I... I ended up in prison, and I really was conflicted and beat down because I wanted to be a father. I just didn't know how. I didn't know how to be a father. These drugs had taken everything from me. So I did a lot of soul searching in prison. I, I crawled in the Word, and God's who got me through it. And I can't, I can't say it any other way. I have to give him credit where credit's due because if I didn't have him in that time, I wouldn't have made it through it. You know, I just did a uh, a previous episode with an individual who was in a jail cell. They were going through withdrawal. There was nothing there, no type of medical-assisted withdrawal. The only thing in the room they could find was the Bible. And we made that comment that when faith is all you have, faith is all you need. And when the Bible's all you've got, it's all you need. It got you through those darkest moments is what you're saying, correct? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would be in the day room, the common area, reading my Bible and actually ended up starting a Bible study in there. But Still, in this time period, I was still using drugs. There were so many drugs in prison. It was insane. I don't think folks get that, but anybody I've ever spoken to who's been there will tell you it was probably easier to get them there than out on the street. All I had to do was roll over and ask my cellmate for some drugs. And it's the craziest thing, Randy. You could buy drugs with ramen noodles. I never thought that that was ever possible, but... (laughs) I've never thought of that exchange, but I get it from there, okay? Yeah, so that use continued. You're fighting that battle within, that spiritual battle. You're wanting to get close to Christ, but you can't let go of the old. So go ahead. Take us forward from there, Brandon. Yeah, it's that Romans 7, 18 battle. You know, I don't understand 
the good or I want to do the good that I know that I can do, but I can't stop doing the bad. And I mean, that's, that was my life for a long time. And I wasn't just using meth in there. I actually was IV using meth and I was sharing needles with half the pod. You know, I'm a very blessed man that I didn't step out of there with HIV or anything that, cause that stuff is in there. I mean, you see the guys that you know the guys that have HIV, they have to stand in a line and get insurers to keep their immune system up. And I shared needles with those people. I mean, it it was really a real dark time, but God was all over the situation. I mean, he there was a lot of trials within that. I mean, I got beat up a lot. I'm not a good fighter either, just like a good criminal. I didn't I don't like to fight, but in there I had to. If you didn't stand up for yourself, it was going to happen every day. And when I got released, that's when I made my mind up. You know, I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to be locked in a room with drugs. And that was my clean date, January 27th, 2018. So that's been a little over three years ago, yes? Four years. Four years. Yeah, this is 22. I yeah. got to do the math right. A little over four years. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you still have that occasional urge? Are you beyond that? Tell us I've about that. I've actually overcome that. I mean, yeah, your first year or so in recovery, it is hard. Your brain plays tricks on you. You're going through some emotional time in your life, and you just think that the drugs fix it. You get past that, and you move beyond it. You overcome it, and I'm really not triggered with hard drugs and stuff anymore hooray for you not everybody can say that a lot can and i'm sure you know we all know that one use can put you right back in that hole again absolutely if i know if i was to pick up my drugs of choice again that i would it would kill me yeah that's got to be tough but at least you've got that understanding that awareness that knowledge and that desire to stay above it how have you used that at this point What would you like for folks out there to know who are struggling with some drug right now, be it meth, cocaine, heroin, marijuana? Give them some advice from your point of view, where you've been and where you are. Let's just say that the help is out there. There's so many resources out there that are available these days. And they probably were in my active addiction, but I just didn't know about them. I've seen dramatic change in that in the past seven years. Better Life, Brianna's Hope's a little over seven years old. And when we started, we were a, a big fish in a small pond. We're now a small fish in a big pond because there are so many options. Uh, that's a good thing. So I don't know how many were available, but you're talking about those that are available now, which certainly eliminates that excuse. Tell the folks the importance of getting involved in a community of support. Yeah, you can't do it on your own. you got to have somebody to talk to, to vent to, to share your experience with, so then you know that you're not alone. At least in my active addiction, I always just felt alone. On the inside, you know, I'd be in a crowded room or at a party or something, and I still felt alone. I couldn't fill that void. I was trying to fill a God-sized void in my heart, and it just... There's no other shape that fits that void, is there? No, that's there's the not. puzzle piece. Yeah, that's the only one and one that's going to do it. Bring us up to date, Brandon, what you're doing with your life, where you're at. Yeah, tell us about that. So I actually am working. I'm in a weird role right now. I'm working for a place called Foundations Behavioral Health in Salina. I started out as a recovery coach. 
How long ago did you start out with them? Two years ago. Tell the folks what a recovery coach is and what a recovery coach does. There may be those who don't understand that. Okay. So uh, a recovery coach is somebody who has the lived experience of alcohol and drug addiction. Honestly, it's the coolest job in the world. You know, I can just pick somebody up and drive around and talk with them. I can take them to the store. I can take them to a meeting. They have my personal cell phone number. If they feel like they're struggling, they can call me at any time. And some people abuse that. I'm going to be honest with you, but it's still awesome for the ones that are using it for the right reasons. Okay, move us forward then. You said you started out as a recovery coach and then you moved to what level or what next step? Well, in January, they started me out doing individual counseling. So I I also hold what's called a CDCA, which is really not hard to get. It's allowing me to provide counseling services in the office without a college education. So tell the folks what CDCA stands for. Chemical Dependency Counseling Assistant. Hit me with that again. (laughs) Chemical Dependency Counseling Assistant. All right, all right. And that just, that's, I'm going to guess from your experience, some courses that allowed you to qualify for that. Like I said, it was really easy to get. It's about 80 hours of book work which really beats four years in college, I can tell you that. Well, congratulations to you. Obviously, you've got that experience, that heart, the knowledge, and the wisdom to be able to package all of that together. How is that working for you? I love it. Ever since I've been home, I gave my testimony for the first time at Brianna's Hope there in Salina. I just got set on fire to help people. I managed a faith-based transitional home for a little while, and then that role kind of led me into this one, and it's just, it's been so amazing, honestly. I know you were Team Hope leader for a chapter in St. Mary's at one time. It's a different season now, but you certainly filled a big role there, which was appreciated. Oh, I learned a lot doing recovery ministry. I mean, you can't take... The lessons that I learned and the ex- the experience I gained from that, I mean, you, money can't buy it. No, and some of it you wish you could have sold and never gone through in those <laughs> earlier years, yes? It can't always be up. No, we've got to learn from wherever we are and get to someplace better. I've always believed in wanting to be the person God created me to be, not better than you, not less than you, but all that God created me to be and if i can get there that's a success when covid first hit and everything i really went through like a spiritual valley for a long time i mean i bet it lasted a year but it's just so amazing how god still manifests himself in those times and lets me know that i'm still useful because i still do the roman 718 battle i still go through that kind of stuff let's go back some of those those folks from your past, we talk about changing your people, your places, your things. But in small town America, you're not going to change everybody. You're going to run by this individual or that individual that you had connected with in your darker times. Do you still run into those folks? What's your relationship with them? How do they feel about you? Are they good with where you're at? I think some of them are good with where I'm at. I think others believe that it's a front and it's not real and I get a, I've heard a lot of I have jailhouse religion I even with some family members I get that kind of look but 
You are, you're right. You are going to run into those people. It's about how you respond when you do run into those people. I mean, you might get those thoughts of, oh, I could just run with this person and go get high and nobody would ever know. But you have to be mentally preparing yourself in the right season because you are going to have that happen. Yeah, and the idea of the jailhouse religion, I understand that phrase. I've been there with many others, but you've lived outside <laughs> that jailhouse for a while, and you're still living that religion and growing in it, yes? Absolutely. Yeah. I, absolutely. I try to, I'm rooted in a nice small little church there in Wapak, and my daughters are going to youth groups now, and... It's really hard to try to minister to your kids. Like I, that's that's a battle within its own. I tell you. Yes, yes. Sometimes we need to give them the guidance, the leadership, and let somebody else take over from there. They're going to listen to somebody other than mom and dad lots of times. Yeah, I, th- I believe with the oldest, it's going to have to come from somebody outside <laughs> the home. Yeah, that can happen that way. And uh, one thing I always like to say. I don't believe in religion anyway, whether it's jailhouse or church house. I believe in faith in God. For me, religion's a man-made thing, and I don't want to live up to that standard. Uh, that's not, you know, a negative toward anything, but I don't even use the word religious. I don't want people to think I'm religious. I want to be a man of faith before them, faith in God. Absolutely. And I, I'm just so thankful for the path that I've walked, you know, and I'm so thankful that I am able to pull from these experiences and know that God has manifested himself to me personally. Even in my darkest times, that's what I try to dwell on. There's a lot of joy in being able to be a part of a life that has changed. Absolutely. Yeah, personally and the lives of others, to see them move from the darkness to the light, to move from no hope and futility to hope and faith in Christ. That's the reward far more than any paycheck I've ever received. Brandon, as you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What does that mean to you? What do those four words mean to you? Well, I believe they're interchangeable because I wouldn't have recovery without faith. I wouldn't be where I am today. I mean, there's so many amazing things that have happened in my life since I've been home from prison, and I have to give Jesus all the glory. You know, I could have been one of the ones that died due to my addiction. You know, there's many a times that I've done more drugs than I should have. I I walked in that darkness. I I should have been dead, and it's all... Thanks to him, why I'm still here. I'm still above ground. I'm still useful. There's a reason for that, and you're trying to live that reason out by paying it back, yes? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and obviously pointing toward God throughout all of it. I've heard that throughout this entire interview, and it's not the first time I've heard it from you. And I know that there was a time or two you went to schools with uh, Better Life, Brianna's Hope, and shared your story there. You talked about sharing it there at the Salina chapter for the first time. I invite you to continue to move forward with that. People need to hear it. Well, thank you, Randy. I love doing it. Well, It's it, like driving a nail in the coffin of my past. I like that visual. <laughs> to keep that pinned down, I stay above it every time I share. I'm driving a nail, just tightening my history and living my present. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
any last words of advice or help for any? No, let me put that a different way. Talk to parents who have a child who is struggling with addiction. What would you like to tell them? I'd like to tell them that, you know, it's not their fault. You know, we do a lot of blaming ourselves if our kids have fallen into this trap, but it's not your fault. Nine times out of ten, it's not your parenting that led them to this path, and just don't give up on them. you got to love them through it. Don't give up on them. Don't accept the fault. Be there to help, to support, and take care. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah, that can be tough sometimes, but our children are worth it. Uh, You talked over and over about the protection that your mom was trying to provide that you weren't ready to receive. So we need to be there to protect without stepping across that line and enabling. Yeah, and then that is a fine road between enabling and tough love. I hated tough love when my family gave it to me, but I'm so thankful for it now that I'm clean and I see it for what it is. You couldn't be where you are if it hadn't been for that, right? I wouldn't be. Okay, well, listen, thank you. We appreciate your sharing today. Folks, we don't believe you've come this far to only come this far. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be just around the corner, maybe in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Stay in the battle. God bless.